All right. We're still in Job. We're still hearing Job uh, being instructed by his creator. And, uh, and the Lord himself has granted Job his request to hear from God. Now, God has spoken to many people in the Old Testament. But the God that they were hearing from was Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ who is talking to Job. It's Yahweh. Yahweh is Jesus Christ. And uh, the title of our study today is, Where is the way where light dwells? Knowing the way where light dwells is just another way of saying knowing Jesus Christ, because he said, I am the light. But this is stuff that Job does not yet understand. So God is asking Job. After he's already been through the three friends that Job has who have just accused him, after he has sent Elihu to him as the two witnesses, now he himself has played the part that the Holy Spirit plays to this very day in confirming to Job the truth of what is going on in Job's life. And that is a matter of being judged and being humbled. So God asks Job in verse 16, and we'll be reading through verse 23. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the search of the depths? Have the gates of death been opened to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if you know muted. it all. Unmuted. Where is the way where light dwells? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That you should take it to the bound thereof, and that you should know the paths to the house thereof. Know you it because you were then born, or because of the number of your days is great? Have you entered into the treasures of the snow, or have you seen the treasures of the hail? Which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of the battle, in war, the day of battle and war. God wants us to know the truth of who we are and where we are in comparison to Him. It would be deceitful and destructive for God to fail to tell us this truth. Job is us in type and shadow, and as such, his inflated opinion of himself stands for the inflated opinion which all mankind has of itself, all in Adam. Mankind's inflated ego is symbolized by this phrase, which is describing the nature of who all who are in Adam are. It's Genesis 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now to make one wise is the very opposite of revealing to mankind that God is wise. It's the very opposite. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil typifies the law of Moses with its own righteousness. Can you, uh, can you, can, can we not see that, that our righteousness is not God's righteousness? I mean, that's, that's the one thing that is clear here. So let's just look at what it says in Ezekiel, or in, in Genesis 3 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband, and he did eat. Uh, in Romans 7, 7 we're told, what, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, the knowledge of evil, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, you shall not covet. To make one wise, there in verse 6 of Genesis 3, is the very opposite of revealing uh, to mankind that God is wise. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil typifies the law of Moses with its own righteousness. Now here is what, what that reveals. It reveals to us that the law of Moses is, a, and that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil typifies the law of Moses. And we're told this about the righteousness that is in that law. This is Philippians 3.9. This, this is just a revelation of what the uh, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil typifies. Like so many things that are created, it, it has a spiritual symbolism that comes along with it. Philippians 3.9, we're told, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the law is not sin. It simply tells us what sin is. And thereby it strengthens sin. Another verse tells us that the strength of sin is the law. But what is flesh? And what's in flesh? Here are the plain biblical verses that answer these simple questions. Psalms 51 verse 5 tells us, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is the same 7th chapter of Romans that I'm going to read here that tells us what the law is, you know, there in verse 7. This is verse 17. Verse 7 tells us that I wouldn't have known sin but by the law, because I wouldn't have known what uh, sin was, if the law, lust was, if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. So in verse 17 of the same chapter we read, Now then it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Not I, but sin that dwells in me. Now that was a very disturbing verse for me when I first saw it because I believed in free, free will. And this just seemed to go against that because it does. It sounded to me like Paul was just passing the buck. Well, there's a difference between passing the buck and acknowledging the truth. And the truth is that God is working all things after the counsel of his own will. So Paul goes on to say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I'm shaping in iniquity. I'm conceived in sin. Uh, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do I do not. But the evil that I would not do, that's what I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it's not I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. There's the answer to it, right there. There is a law. When I would do good, evil is present with me, in my members. In my members. How did it get there? Let's just... See if we can figure this out. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, 
But I see another law in my members, two laws, war, one warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bo the body of this death, of being under the law of sin which is in my members? Why am I a wretched man? It's because of that law which is in my members. And it's there by virtue of the one lawgiver who put it there while I was still being formed in his hands. Jeremiah 18.4 The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. And then James 4, verse 12, there is one lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver. So that law is his law. And he is able to save and to destroy. Who are you and I to judge our brothers, given that knowledge? <clears throat> well, we don't judge our brothers, but we do judge what they do. We judge sin and we judge uh, the, the fruits of our brothers. That's why Paul tells us, even though he's not in Corinth, when he knows and is told that there's a man there who's living in open sin in the midst of that church, he says, I've judged that already, and I'm urging you to turn that brother over to the Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the flesh, spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So that's another subject for another time, but the subject here right now is that sin is in our members. We're not to judge each other without understanding that this is all the work of God. The wisdom and the good which comes from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good. Knowledge is knowledge. It's got a certain wisdom of its own, worldly wisdom. And it's got good in it. Worldly good. But they are, they are separated from the wisdom and the righteousness which is of God. That wisdom is in a completely different tree with a different, entirely different root. Both come out of the ground, but they're not the same root. There's a root of Jesse, you know, and then there's a root of Adam. There's a root of the first Adam, and there's a root of the second Adam. But they both come out of the ground. A tree to be desired to make one wise stands in stark contrast to the godly truthful knowledge that both our wisdom and our righteousness are of God and of God alone. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you, you can do nothing. Now, nothing doesn't mean you, you can not do good things. Without Christ, you and I cannot live or move or have our being and go out and sin, as he has created us to do. You say, God didn't create us to sin. Oh, yes, he did. That's why you sin. He put a law in your members to cause you to sin. Isaiah 63, verse 17. Oh, Lord, why have you, have you caused us, made us to do, to err? Romans 3, 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 9, Christ said that even applied to him, that he's not good. His flesh, of course. 
Romans 9, 16. So then it's not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. The very, the very reason that God raises up our first man is for that reason right there. Our first evil Adam. Therefore, for that reason, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardens. Well, he hardens the first man in all of us. Adam was hardened. You and I are hardened. Then that hardened man is destroyed, broken, crushed to powder, just as Job is experiencing here in this entire experience that we've been studying now for so long. God has mercy, or God hardens, and we are nothing more than clay in his hands. As we pointed out many times, the three temptations mentioned in 1 John 2.12 are the exact same temptations which beset our original parents, Adam and Eve, who were also conceived in sin. Conceived in sin. The vessel that he made of clay, that's what Adam is. He's a clay vessel. Was marred in his hand. And he's making it anew. So Adam was conceived in sin with sin in his members. And these three sins in 1 John 2, verse 16, are within our flesh, in the flesh of all who are in Adam, just as it was in Adam's flesh when God first made him. First made him. And we are told that these three sins account for all that is in the world. Just like everything that's ever come up in the life of any man was in Adam. It was all in Adam when God created him. Now notice these three sins are listed in the very same order in which they're listed in Genesis 3. Now I'm going to have both verses here right beside each other so you can see this and see just how true it is that this is who we are, what we are, without Christ in our lives. Genesis 3, 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to be desired to make one wise, Look at that. Number one, good for food. Number two, pleasant to the eyes. Number three, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also to her husband. And he did eat. Well, where did Eve come from? She came from out of Adam. That's why she did it. So let's not blame Eve or Adam. Let's just put everything where it belongs, which is in the hands of God. Now here's the very same order in the New Testament informing us that these three characteristics of sinful flesh encompass all that is in the world. All the sins that are in the world. John, 1 John 2.16 All that is in the world. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And number three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Good for food is the lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes is the lust of the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise is the pride of this life with which we all struggle in our own self-righteousness. That's what the book of Job is. Job is us in Babylon. But none of these are really our own at all. They're all in reality, nothing more than the darkness and the evil, which God clearly tells us is not our own, but His creation, His law of sin and death in our members. Isaiah 45, 7, God comes out and just says it like it is, I form the light. God, I God. God, I God form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So God is reasoning with Job. 
because Job is who we are while we're still under the delusion that we are of ourselves somehow good. That's what Babylon would have you believe. Created good and become evil. It's a lie. God wants us to see through that lie. He wants us to know that he made us to be sin. But God is now showing us how untrue the lie is. And, that by, and they're doing that by revealing himself to us. Revealing to us what he is doing and how we are compared to how, what, we, what we are compared to what he is. Here's a taste of what it means when God says, come let us reason together. Job 38, verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depth? This, this is reasoning together with God. Mankind has just this year discovered that God has <clears throat> plant, placed abundant bacterial life in the deepest canyon in the world. Now that canyon is 6.8 miles deep in the it's called the Mariana Canyon in the Pacific Ocean. Now, 6.8 miles is, is deeper than uh, Mount Everest. In other words, you could turn Mount Everest upside down and put it right down in that valley. And it would be underwater. It would be under the ocean. That's how deep it is. Six, almost seven miles deep. Now, while mankind has once again developed the means to observe what God is doing at such depths... The answer to the question is, no, mankind can't walk in the search of the depth. God's point is that he's omnipresent. Omnipresent, omni, uh, what's the word for powerful? He's all-knowing, but he's also omnipotent. That's the word I was reaching for. He's got all power, all knowledge, and he's everywhere. And we aren't. He has placed his life. He's, got, he's the giver of all life, and he's put life down at those low, low depths to tell us and to show us how low we can go. Now, the pressure at, at such depths is a thousand times, according to what I was reading on this, a thousand times greater than it is at sea level. So, sea level is, is where most of our activities take place, you know, in, in the flesh. That's where the sea, the waves are, and where the the, the 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 waves that overwhelm us take us down into the water are. But anything that dies in the water sinks and goes down to the depths. And uh, and there's something down there that feeds on those dying carcasses, and we can't even imagine how it's possible for God to be omnipresent. How? how? You know, we, we can't even imagine how that's possible. How can God be everywhere? So, since we can't even imagine that, why then would we presume that he should give us an audience so we can straighten him out and make him give us an accounting of his ways? Which is what what Job wants God to do. Well, here he is. He's, he's in God's presence. And when God says, come let us reason together, he's not telling us that he thinks... We have something to offer him. We don't have anything to bring to him. This is what we need to do when we're in his presence. Job 40 verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? I will lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, I will not answer uh, yea twice, but I will proceed no further. That's what happens when we come and reason together with God. It's reasonable for us to 
let God do the talking for, and for us to just listen and learn. It's reasonable to make our requests known only by saying, not my will, but thine be done. After this manner, therefore, pray you. This is Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth, in my life, as it is in heaven, as I know in my heart and mind, you want things done. Give me the strength to do it in my earth. Now that's a far cry from what Job was asking earlier. Oh, just let me get in God's presence and I'll straighten him out. And then he'll strengthen me and, and, and quit doing me wrong like this. I'll, I'll bring my case before him. Look, he, here he is in his presence now. And, and is he doing that? Oh, no, no, no. Then Job answered and said, Behold, I'm vile. Uh, how shall I answer you? What shall I answer? I'll lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. So let's just learn from Job and be exhorted by his experience. Now this is the truth of all flesh, even the flesh of Job, which is nothing more than, or less than the flesh of Adam within us. In other words, this is true of our flesh. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 29. You see your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. This is our qualifications of being God's elect right here. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised as God chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That, that's what it says. And here's the reason. Here's the reason for all for such qualifications and for such a resume for his elect. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's a big deal to God. That's why this book of Job is so long and tedious. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now that's the qualification of God's elect. David adds this. Your way, Psalm 77 verse 19. Your way is in the sea. And your path in great waters. And your footsteps are not known. Placing God's way and his path and his footsteps in the sea reveals to us the spiritual meaning of what the physical sea with its cold, dark depths is. The fact that we're told that God's the way, uh, his path and his footsteps are there, tells us this. I am the Lord. This is Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded you, though you haven't known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I do it all. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. If there is evil in the city, I have done it. Amos 3, verse 6. And, uh, Man's ways, goings are of the Lord, 
How can a man then understand his own way? The Lord has made all things for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of evil. And on and on and on. It's not of him that wills. I, 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 the, the, the verses on God's sovereignty just overwhelm the scriptures. They're everywhere. God wants us to know that he is... Well, well, well let me read verse Psalms. Uh, wants us to know, God wants us to know and to acknowledge that it's his hand which leads us even through the darkest, deepest valleys of the sea of our flesh. That, that's his point in speaking of the depths. He wants us to know that he created it and that it is therefore an instrument in his hand to accomplish his plan for the salvation of all men. One of the songs we sang a while ago is our, our children are in the hands of him who holds tomorrow. You know, I, I look at my children and my grandchildren and I just know what I've been through and I just think, wow, those poor, poor children. Look at what they've got to go through. But the truth is that this is common to all men. It's a blessing that we go through life and come to know God. So I need to get away from the flesh and thank God that he has given me these grandchildren, that he, they are his children, they're just alone, that he has given me the privilege to deal with. But they're going to come to know God, just as God is. One day we'll all be of one mind and in, in the presence of our Creator. He wants us to know that he created life as it is, and that it's therefore just an instrument in his hand the darkness and the light alike, to accomplish his plan for the salvation of all men. He wants us to know that darkness is no different from the light, from his perspective. Psalm 139, verse 12, Yea, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. To you, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Not to you and me, but to God. And through God, we can see how he uses light and darkness to his ends. But God wants us to know that he's the one who creates the darkness. Out of which he forms us and brings forth, brings us forth. He actually calls the darkness the lowest parts of the earth. Now look at Psalm 139 verse 15. Same, same chapter, just the previous verse. My substance wasn't hid from you when I was in made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. <clears throat> the lowest parts of the earth. Darkness in our mother's womb. As we've already noted, in the physical realm, mankind has actually, just in the past few decades, built submarines which are capable of withstanding the tremendous pressures and going down to the deepest underwater valleys, valleys in, the, in the ocean. In our inflated vanity, we imagine that being capable of uh, observing God somehow makes us his equal. But the truth is no man has ever or ever will walk in the search of the depth and must always be in a pro protective shell to even look upon that depth. Now here's God's next question for our consideration, our edification as we reason with him. Verse 17. Have the gates of death been opened to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Now here's the biblical definition of gates of death. Here's how the scriptures use that phrase. Psalms 9, verse 13 
And then we're going to read Psalms 107, verse 17 and 18. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer from them that hate me. You that lift me up from the gates of death. Did you get that? You that lift me up from the gates of death, my trouble which I suffer from them that hate me. That's what it is. Verse uh, 17 and 18 of Psalms 107. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat. They, those fools, draw near under the gates of death. The gates of death, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, which afflict them. So the gates of death are associated both with my trouble that I suffer from them that hate me, and because of the transgression and iniquities of the fool that I am. So the gates of death are any means by which we are caused to face the reality of our mortality, our death, our physical and spiritual uh death, because we are of ourselves nothing. Here now is the meaning of the shadow of death. Just the other phrase that's in the same verse. Job 12, verse 22. This is back earlier in this same book of Job. He uncovers deep things out of darkness. Darkness being lacking the knowledge of God and brings out to light the shadow of death. God makes known to us the purpose for darkness and death. He makes it known, but at this part of our walk in Job, we don't have a clue. We're in Babylon, and we think that that death is uh, something that we don't really ever experience. We believe in the immortality of the soul and all kinds of darkness that we walk in. Psalms 23, verse 4 and 5. This is the chapter that's quoted so often. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Quoted that all my life. Had, didn't have a clue what I was talking about, but I knew it was there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So there it is again. The shadow of death is in the presence of our enemies. Puts us in the presence of the beast that we are, which is the greatest enemy any of us will ever be in the presence of. Psalms 107 verses 10 and 11. And then we'll read verses 13 and 14. Same chapter. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, the two are inseparable, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Well, if Job is a type of us, that's what we all do. And he certainly is. And he condemned God. Verse 13 and 14 of Psalms 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And break their bands in sunder. So the darkness and the shadow of death is just what we're born into. Let the dead bury their dead. We're born spiritually blind in darkness. We're born spiritually dead. Not knowing God. Not having life. Matthew 4 verse 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So the gates of death and the shadow of death are both types of our darkest, lowest moments in which we prefer death to life, just as Job did. Job 3, verses 2 through 5, bring that out. 
Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, in the night which, in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let the day be darkness, and let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine on it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud uh, dwell upon it. Let the darkness of the day terrify it. Indeed, our day of judgment is a dark day. Blackness of the day and the shadow of death. That's what it all is. It's out of this darkness that God uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings out to light the shadow of death. You can't bring out to light the shadow of death if you're not there. Job 12, verse 22. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings out to light the shadow of death. You've got to be there to come out of there. It's only by bringing to light the shadow of death that we come to the light of life. In other words, it's only by losing our life, losing this life of darkness and depression and death, that we can find life. <clears throat> Matthew 10, verse 39. He that finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life will find it. Loses his life for my sake. Find it. Now that's just one more spiritual truth which simply doesn't compute in the mind of the natural man, which we all are. And which Job was. So God continues with Job, telling, talking to us, Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare it if you know it all. At this point in our walk, we still, just like Job, uh, we think that because we can observe some of God's creation, therefore we're in a position to counsel him on how to better work with his creatures. Uh, mankind has actually built a space station and has put it in orbit, and it circles the earth. Because we think we can perceive and see what's going on, see that the earth is actually a globe and that there are clouds around it, and we see it where it is in relation to the moon and the sun and all the other planets, and then the galaxy, we think, boy, we're, we're really, we've come a long way, baby. And now we're in a position to just say, say God, look, let's sit down and reason together and let me just... Just give you my take on this whole thing. You know, th th this this pain stuff is really not all that good an idea. And this cross is a messy, messy thing. Can't we just cut all that out and, you know, create us all all uh, good to begin with and, and, and let's eliminate all this pain and suffering. And why even have darkness? Let's just have light. You know, that, that's just a whole lot better idea than... And, and if you're going to do any of that stuff, then then just kill me and let me lay there and wait for you to raise me up. But the, this, this, this way of doing things is just not working, God. It's just more than I can take. And so I, I'd, I'd suggest that we, that we do it my way. Well, here's the truth of how much God can truly, how much of, of God we can truly perceive and declare. You know, because our ideas really aren't God's ideas. He, he says in Isaiah 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And that just agrees with Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Boy, how true that is when we're thinking that we have a better way than God has. Yet we as Job 
and there's the king of Babylon, both the type of our old man, think we can condemn our heavenly father and can conquer him and sit on his throne. And that's really what it all amounts to. Now, Job is just a type of the king of Babylon, the type of the prince of Tyrus. Just just Adam. That's, a, that's all he is. Isaiah 14, verse 13 tells us who Adam is. For you, that you and me, have said in your heart, this is addressed to the king of Babylon. This is what we say in our own self-righteous heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you'll be brought down to hell. The word is shield, the, the grave, to the sides of the pit. Now, that's a far cry from Job's, you know, let me just get to God so I can declare my case and, and he'll strengthen me and, and back me up in my con- condemnation of him. No, 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 no. Now, here's the new, in the New Testament, we're told that this is the fate of all who are in Adam. Just, just agrees with what Isaiah told us there in Isaiah 14. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. When the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. The world has been being ruled for a thousand years by God's elect. That's just a fact, just a biblical truth that has to come to pass. The world, not, not converted people, not the kingdom of God on the earth, the kingdom of God ruling the nations of the earth. That's what we're talking about here in the millennium. Satan will be loosed after that period. Will go out and deceive the nations, which are nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. Well, they aren't there to tell them how much they appreciate having been ruled with a rod of iron for a thousand years. They're there to wipe out the camp of the saints, because we will be visible at that time. Touchable, like Christ was after his resurrection. Touch me and see that a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see I have. He is spirit, but he can materialize, and that's what we'll be at that time, and they're going to compass us about to destroy us. And here's what becomes of all flesh. They compass the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Being the creator of both light and darkness, God draws our attention to the fact that we know nothing of where these, either of these creations originated or what sustains them. Few men even consider light or darkness to be part of God's creation, even though he clearly tells us that these were the first things he created. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. This is a perfect description of us as individuals coming into this earth. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God's Spirit begins to deal with us. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we have a greater light and a lesser light. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. 
So there was a day right there at the beginning. Light was created, darkness was created by God. But that darkness is later in the same chapter called the lesser light to rule the night. So in God's creation, everything is light to him. He sees right through it all. But there's a lesser light that he gives us. It rules us for a period of time that we're in it. Now, without these two things, we cannot exist. And God wants us to understand and consider the depth of these most basic of truths. Where is this verse 19 and 20 of this chapter we're in, Job 38? Where is the way? Where is the way where light dwells? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? What's the way of darkness? Do we define these things? No, I don't think so. That you should take take it to the bound thereof and that you should know the paths to, uh, to the house thereof? Are you the one that's going to tell everybody what's good and what's wrong, what's not good? What's light and what's darkness? Christ is speaking to us through Job. And in his time, he answers his own question by telling us who he is. John 1, 1, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now let's skip down to verse 9. That, speaking of Christ, this is John actually the Baptist speaking, that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. And then in John 8, verse 12, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Life is in the light. Now this was unheard of knowledge in the day in which our Lord walked in his flesh. Every person mentioned in the Old Testament speaking with God thought they were speaking with the Father, when in reality they were all speaking with our Lord, and had never so much as seen the form of the Father, nor heard his voice. Now those are Christ's words. <clears throat> John 5 verse 7, the Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. You've never heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. There it is. So when Moses asked God, he says, they're going to want to know who sent me. What do I tell them? He said, I am sent you. That, the Hebrew word there is, it's not two words, it's one. Haya sent you. Haya. Very same word translated became or was in, in Genesis 1-2. The earth was without, the earth Haya without form and void. It's got the exact same root to it. It's the same word. The exact same word. God was and is and will be. And that's what that word actually means. No one can have the light of life without knowing the Father. And no one can know the Father until Christ reveals the Father to them. Now, now listen to these verses here because this is the truth. Luke 10, 22. All things are delivered to me of my Father. No man knows the Son but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son. Now here's how you know the Father. And he to whom the Son will reveal him. 
no one had ever known the Father. And no one ever will except through Christ. John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4. I know nothing by myself, yet I am I not hereby justified. But he that justifies me, uh, that judges me, is the Lord. Truly of ourselves we know nothing. Christ said that. Without me you can do nothing, not even know anything. And Job says the same thing, Job 38, verse 21. Know you it because you were then born, or because the number of your days is great? No. The answer to this question is to be found in Job's own words earlier. Job 14, verses 1 and 2. man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and is cut down. He flees as a shadow and continues not. That's also found in these verses of James. James 4, verses 13 through 15. Go to now, you that say, tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and make gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our whole life, whether it's 30 years or 300 years, or as Methuselah's case, 969 years, it's a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live in doing this or that. So, God's next question is closely associated with the gates of hell and the shadow of death, about which he has asked us already. Our answer is always the same. We have no idea where or when we will meet the gates of death, and when or where our worst trials will come upon us. But God does. He knows all these things about us, because he ordained them before any of them were. Job 38, verses 22 and 23. Have you entered into the treasures of the snow, or have you seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? In other words, God had poured the hail and the snow out on Job already, as he will on all of us in our time. God's word is very consistent. Here's what the hailstones, the weight of a talent, to quote the book of Revelation, do. Isaiah 28, verses 14 through 17. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. In other words, us, while we're in Babylon. Because you have said, we've made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall come through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehoods we hid ourselves. We've got a place of safety. We've got a rapture. We're going to go to heaven. We've got all kinds of Covenants with death that are just going to let us down. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not make haste. Believes that cornerstone, believes that the words of that cornerstone. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. God's going to do it his way. It's going to be according to his measures. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and false doctrines. And the waters of the word of God shall overflow the hiding place that you thought you could hide in. Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21, just say the same thing. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice 
out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. You are done. You know, stick a fork in it. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake. Such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. Now keep those words in mind. Such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. I got a, a, a phone call from a man that I never heard from before in the state of Washington yesterday. Just out of the blue. Phone rang and said some moving company on there. And I thought, wow, well, probably dialed the wrong number but it, it was a it was a man who had been reading the site for just a short time and he was just overwhelmed with the fact that he'd come to see that he was the beast he thought he says all my life I've, I've wanted to understand about this he says I spent hundreds pieces I may have spent thousands of dollars on books and and and, uh, and tape series and things to know what I've just learned from your sight about the meaning of the book of Revelation and who I am and who the beast is. And he says, I found out it's me. He says, I just wanted to call you and say thank you. And uh, he says, you will be hearing more from me. So I hope I, I hope I do, but it was just a wonderful experience to know that there are those out there who God is giving this understanding just like he's given it to you and me. Verse 19, the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. That man knows that this is all within now. And great Babylon and all this, these lies that are within us came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The book of Revelation with its seven seals, trumpets, vials. The book of Job with all of his trials. And every island, verse 20, every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone the weight of a talent. A talent weighs 70 pounds. We had a hailstorm here just the other day. Had uh, hailstones, where's that camera? Hailstones the size of my thumbnail. And when they'd hit you on the head, you'd feel it. Well, that's nothing compared to to what this is speaking of. When a hail tone stone the size of a talent hits you, you're dead. So that's the point here. This is something that destroys our old man. And there fell a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Yes! Oh, if I can just get to God, I'll tell him how to do this a better way. He has wronged me. And yet God brings us around. Brings us out of that rebellious, Adamic, beastly, Job, you and me nature. Sin within our members nature. If he sees fit. It's few in this time, but it does happen to a few. God calls both the snow and the hail his treasures which he has reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. Strange how God considers the destruction of our old man such a good thing. What time is this time of trouble? What is the day of battle and war for which these treasures are reserved? The most prominent time of trouble 
And all the scripture is this. Jeremiah 30 verses 4 through 7. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel, concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man does prevail with child. Why then do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for the day, the great day, so that none is like it. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Every man's work will be tried by fire. He will suffer loss, yet he himself will be saved. It's a good thing that we are sinners first, that we are in darkness and that we're in the valley of the shadow of death and that we're in the depths of the ocean first. It's a good thing that we're in darkness first. God's way is a good way. God's way is the only way. Revelation 16, 14 through 16. This is the seven last plagues. This is the wrapping up of the seven seals, which have the seven vials in the middle, uh, seven trumpets in the middle, which are the seven have within them the seven vials that we're reading about here, right here. <clears throat> this is the <clears throat> seventh vial we're reading about here. The frogs there. Well, maybe I've got that wrong anyway. We'll get to it right here just in a little bit. The frogs that come out of the uh, mouth of the false prophet, the, the, the beast, and uh, the dragon. They are three, the three frogs. They, they are the spirits of devils working miracles. Devils working miracles. We don't believe that's possible. We, we, we think that only God can work miracles. No, God allows devils to work miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. God has evil spirits in the Old Testament telling the truth. An evil spirit told King Saul that he would die the next day. An evil spirit told the man of God that he would die. And it happened. It came to pass. They are evil spirits working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This is the battle that God is talking about to Job. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. I see walk naked. And they see his shame. And he gathered them together in the place, into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. There it is. Great day of the battle of God Almighty. Zephaniah 1 verses 14 through, uh, through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastes greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. Christ said the same thing in Matthew 24. When you see these things come to pass, know that it's near even at the door. This generation will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty men will cry there bitterly. The mighty men is our old Adam. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. All the things we've just been reading about. A day of the trumpet, an alarm against the fenced cities and against high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord 
and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the their flesh as the dung. We read about blood to the horse's bridle, and we think that's that's a bad thing going to happen one day to, to a bunch of people over there in the Middle East. Blood's going to run in the valley over there, and it's just going to be terrible for those poor people. We don't even know that this is talking about our blood of our old man and how deep it's going to run because it's going to be all poured out. Zephaniah 1, 8, 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Job made it clear that the destruction of his physical possessions was the work of God's wrath against me. Job 19, 11. Job, and we'll read that verse, but I've got several here I want to put in here just to nail this down. Job 14, 13. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would keep me secret until your wrath is passed, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. That, that's what we want. Look, God, this is a better way right here. Do it this way. I've got a better idea. Job 16, 9. He tears me in his wrath. He who hates me, he gnashes on me with his teeth. Mine enemy, God, sharpens his eyes upon me. Now here's 19.11. He has kindled his wrath against me and counted me as one of his enemies. Speaking of God. 19.29. Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishments of the sword, that you may know there is judgment. Job is speaking to himself about himself and doesn't even see it. He thinks he's righteous, and God is the one who's making the mistake. Job 20, verse 23. When he's about to fill his belly, to speaking of the wicked man, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. Verse 28 of the same chapter. The increase of his house shall depart and his goods shall flow away as in the day of his wrath. In the day of his wrath. My, my, my. 21, 20. His eyes shall see his destruction. He shall drink the wrath of, of the Almighty. 2130. The wicked is reserved for the day of destruction. Our old man, Job, the old Job. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. That is the truth, of course. What's not said right there is that after that wrath, they're brought forth to the day of light. Job 36, verse 13. But the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. They even, and they cry not when he binds them. Now it's clear from all these scriptures that the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, the great day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, are all one and the same. Time of trouble against the day of battle and of war. Of which God is inquiring of Job. Do you know when this is all going to happen? Do you know what it's all about? Can you work it all? In which Job, through Job, he is asking of us. And the answer, of course, is no, we don't. We couldn't do that if we wanted. And we don't want to. This is all for the purpose of making us to know that we are not capable of judging ourselves. And, I, you know, I used to think that uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30 and 31, there's judge yourself. If you would judge ourselves, we'll not be judged, was an admonition. Judge yourself. It's not. We can't judge ourselves. Paul, said, Paul had just said, I judge not myself. And the very next verse says, if we do judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord. So how can we be thinking we can judge ourselves? That's the very point that Christ is making here with Job. We can't judge ourselves, much less all of mankind. As he's doing and as he, as he will do by any means of his, by the means of his treasures and his snow and hail. That's, that's what he uses to do it. Job 38 verse 17. Have the gates of hell depart, been opened to you? Or have you seen the, the doors of the shadow of death? The answer is no. Neither the gates of death nor the shadow of death are in our hands. We do not of ourselves know the way where the light dwells. There's, there are things, these are things, as with all things, that are being worked after the counsel of God's own will. 